I, I went through about a month where every time I would hit the ignition in my car, it would do this little whoop, whoop thing, and it, you know, and it would start, and I'm thinking, i got to go get that battery checked out. Well, I got up one morning, and it was graveyard dead, okay? And uh, so I, I, um, I just kind of let it go that day and, and left it in the garage. I thought, I'll jump it tonight when I get home and see what's wrong. And So I, the next morning, I got up at like 5 o'clock, and it, I've got my other car kind of it got jumper cables on it. Got the thing started, although it took a while. I pulled it out, set it in the driveway in the place where... Uh, uh, so I could jump it again if I had to, let it run for a long time. Thought, okay, I'll go in and get dressed and we'll be good. But I thought, well, you know, I may get stuck somewhere today, so I put some jumper cables in the, uh, in the trunk, all right? Well, the problem is, when a car's battery is graveyard dead, <laughs> you can't get in the trunk. I mean, everything's electronic these days. <laughs> so I had to call somebody at the school to come get it, switch out a battery, all that kind of stuff. And I'm just realizing I just waited too long. Um, have you ever been given like an AT&T, it's not a gift card, but it's like a debit card, you know, they, you, you, you know, you re-up on something or you buy something and they give you 50 bucks or 100 bucks in, in a card. By the way, everybody look at your wallet right now. If you've got one of those in there, use it today because they, they expire. I, I get to a restaurant uh, try to pass that thing, and it's like, no, this was expired a month ago. Shucks, you know. I left money on the table. I don't like doing that. Um, do what? Then you got to pay to leave. Yeah, that's true. Or wash dishes. Um, um, at, when, my, when I was a kid, uh, okay, anybody in here that would appreciate this? When I was a kid, gas wasn't very high anyway. But I got free gas, you know, and uh, for some reason that made me really kind of cavalier about filling the tank, I, you know, and, and uh, uh, it didn't cost me anything to get gas. I'd pull up to the shop, did the pump at the shop and get it and go. I had a key to the gate. And, anyway, but my dad would say to me often, because I ran out a few times, he would say, you need to keep the top half of the gas tank full. Uh, you know, that's supposed to mean something. It didn't really mean much to me, but because I kept running out of gas. Um, um, there, there are just some things that, um, that you can do kind of too late. Study for a test. It's back to school time. There, there comes a time when if you haven't already studied for the test, you might as well just kind of forget it. You know, uh, at 7 a.m. before an 8 o'clock test is probably not going to work all that well. There comes a time when it's kind of too late to kind of fix something. Um, I have been around family members who just neglected and neglected and neglected reconciliation. And now the loved one is gone. And they're living with that for the rest of their lives. Why didn't we patch this up? So there comes a time um, when I've got to deal with it. Now, I, I read a question this week, and I'm, I'm, we're kind of going to be all around it a little bit this morning. Is it ever too late to repair your relationship with God? Well, I, I think you're going to find God's answer 
from Zechariah 7 kind of interesting? Because I would say naturally no. But there came a time in the, in the nation of Israel, and, and especially Judah here, which Zechariah is dealing with, where they just waited too long to repair that breach. Now, we're going to be in a few minutes, we're going to be in Zechariah 7, and uh, let me give you a little bit of, bit of background. Um, there are 31 Zacharias or so in the Bible, okay? And can you remember another one besides this one? Do what? Uh, you know, you got, that guy's, it started with Z, but that was Zacchaeus. But that, that was a good, good stab at it. He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. All right? Anybody else? Can you remember, remember from the very first chapter of Luke, we meet a Zechariah that's John the Baptist's daddy. Do you remember that? That's the one, the one I kind of think about. I, he's kind of a hero to me. He was a priest. And remember he had a, had, a, had a wife, and they were barren. And, and um, anyway, and he kind of uh, told God, he, he said something about, this is impossible. And God said, well, I'll show you how impossible it is. You're not going to talk for the next nine months. Remember that? That, that was a Zechariah. Okay, and there were 31 of them in the Bible. But this Zechariah lived um, during the post-exile of, of uh, the, nation, the nation of Israel, certainly Judah. So if the temple was destroyed in 586, okay, uh, eventually they come back uh, part of them are destroyed, part of them are murdered, literally, by the Babylonians, and uh, part of them are carted off then 880 miles to the east to serve the Babylonians, and Zechariah was in that crew. Then eventually they get to come back. Boy, I think of um, the emotion that surrounded that time that Zechariah lived through, and it's typified by the 137th Psalm as it begins where... Um, they will say, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion, when we remembered Jerusalem. We let, remember, the, the, there's that imagery, they laid down their harps. They didn't want to play. They just want anything to be happy about. Zechariah was part of that group that got carted off to Babylon. He was one who also returned then in about 538 B.C. to rebuild the temple after they were all released from captivity. You can read about that in, in the sixth chapter of Ezra. But Zechariah's interest was not necessarily in building a physical structure in the temple. There were others that were going to take care of that. His interest was on constructing uh, a spiritual framework to go with it. And he preached and prophesied about that. Now, it's interesting here. Um, Zechariah actually dates his prophecies. And uh, so, it, as, as chapter 7 begins, if you look in the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month. We could literally convert that to, I, I find this intriguing. You say the Bible's not verifiable, you know, um, we, we can go back and figure that out to December 7th, 518 B.C. It's when this chapter was written. Okay? Now, it's 518. They had, um, uh, they had begun construction in 536 of, the, of rebuilding the temple in the spring of 536, but shortly thereafter, they had to halt because of some opposition, and they resumed uh, working on the temple in, on September 21st, 520, we're now two, days, two years later, okay? Two years or so later. 
the work is resumed. It's not quite finished yet. And they won't finish it till um, I wrote this date down here. Um, anyway, they won't finish it for, for a while yet, but, but uh, in 515 is when they finish it. So between when they restarted it in 520 and 515 when they finished it, this is Zechariah 7, okay? And he's, he's going to be talking about that. Now, um, the, let's look at the background a little bit. I'll tell you what let's do. Bob, if you don't mind to read verse 8, 9, and 10, I'm going to come back after he reads and give you the backdrop. I, I want us to know, we've got to know what he's going to deal with that's kind of on the table, but I want us to read it first. Okay, now we're going to come back to what he's dealing with here. But the question on the table is kind of an interesting question. Um, uh, if you'll look back, look up the page with me. Um, look at verse 2. Now in the town of Bethel, um, the town of Bethel, by the way, I didn't ask Bob or anybody else to read this because I'll do well to get through it. Um, now the town of Bethel, which is just north, had sent Sharazer, and Regimenelech, okay, aren't you glad I didn't ask somebody else to read that, and their men to seek the favor of the Lord. Okay, they come uh, to, to uh, Zechariah, and they're speaking to the priests um, who belong to the house of the Lord of hosts, and to the prophets, including Zechariah, saying, shall I weep in the fifth month and abstain as I have done these many years? Now, what they're asking here is, during this time of captivity, okay, they, they proclaimed a fast in the fifth month. These guys are wanting to get out of it. We're back. Is it time to quit fasting? Okay. Um, and so that's kind of the issue on the table. And uh, it's very interesting uh, to, to study this particular fast because the fast was probably begun as a remembrance of Jerusalem's destruction by Nebuchadnezzar in the fifth month and it was kind of a man-made thing this wasn't really this wasn't biblical God didn't say fast in the fifth month on this on these particular days they did it anyway well, not that it wasn't a bad not that it was a bad thing it was just it, you know God's probably not going to lose a whole lot of sleep over it and so they're coming to Zechariah saying uh, can we go back to eating um, kosher hot dogs on the fifth month and Zechariah's answer is not at all what they were looking for. Because like the rest of these passages that we've looked at in, in, this, uh, in, in this series we've been in, Zechariah begins to talk to them about justice and what's really important. Now, he begins, he's got an interesting style, and a lot of the prophets have a similar style, but I want us to particularly notice it here. Um, he is going to get a word from the Lord. So if you look at 7-1, in the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. So in each time he's going to proclaim something, he's going to say, the word of the Lord came to me. Go back, uh, just if your like, Bible's like mine, just turn back left a page, flip one page back. Look at 1-1. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. Okay, 
So he's identifying himself there. Look also at um, 1-7. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, uh, the son of Iddo, as follows. So he's going to begin. And every one of these oracles or every one of these prophecies, or you could argue every one of these sermons that he preaches, he's going to begin it by saying, this is the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord uh, came to me personally. So the word personally goes in there. It, his style is, I personally got the word of the Lord. And then secondly, he's going to then verbalize God's message to his people. Okay? I, the, Lord came, the word of the Lord came to me, and I, and I verbalized it. I'm, I'm going to tell you what God said. Is it at all dangerous to say, God told me to tell you this? I think you should think it's dangerous. You know? Well, God told me to tell you, okay? I had a pastor friend who, there was a rather uh, kind of out there other pastor in the, in, the, uh, in the community, and he kind of was working without a building at the time, kind of putting his own little thing together. He had kind of a little cult following, and he calls my friend and says, the Lord has told me that you're to let me use your building to do a wedding on such and such date. And my friend, who was a little bit, of, little bit cynical anyway, said, that's great, man. When the Lord tells me, I'll call you back. Okay? I, I, I want to be really careful when I say, the Lord told me to tell you this, don't I? Okay, nobody call me or email me today and say, the Lord told me. Okay. It, it's just a scary thing. But the truth is that Zechariah really did have visitation from God. God really did come to him and say, say this to them. And so he was in, in, in a good place to be able to speak for God. Now look at 4.6. He's going to use this nomenclature again. But listen to what he says. This is really, really important. Then he said to me, God said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Aren't you glad that God spoke to Zechariah? That, there's that wonderful passage that songs have been written about using that text. Uh, talking about, it's not by the strength of your arm, it's not by uh, the might of some army, that God's going to accomplish its will, his will, it's by his spirit that he's going to accomplish that. I'm, for one, am glad that Zechariah listened to the word of the Lord, and I'm doubly glad that he spoke it when the time came. Now, so the question on the floor is what? Help me remember. Do we still have to fast? Okay. Fifth month coming up, you know, thinking about inviting my friends over for a kosher barbecue. Okay. Can I do that? Or are we still going to do this? Look at verse 9. Or just read it yourself. I won't read it out loud because Bob's already read it. But look at verse 9. His answer is not about fasting necessarily, is it? Did you catch that? Uh, um, maybe some of you I was in a conversation with, with a young pastor over the weekend. We've got some folks staying with us over the weekend. I, I, I was in a conversation with this young pastor 
um, and he was talking about, uh, we were talking about, um, you know, books of conduct that came out of some of our groups back in the day that told us what we could and could not do. Literally, um, Aranda tells me as she grew up, you couldn't read the paper on Sunday. Couldn't watch television on Sunday. You know, there were just certain things. Certainly didn't go shopping and all that kind of thing on a Sunday. That's kind of the, uh, the beginning of, of, if you remember, blue laws. And we've had, we probably still have some blue laws on the books in Oklahoma. Uh, but it's interesting here. Uh, could it be that a similar thing that these folks might say to Zechariah, um, okay, can we go back to reading the paper on Saturday? Um, I, I hear questions like, is it okay? I've heard this question recently. Is it okay for a Christian to gamble? Okay, I'm not going to answer that question for you. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. But, but I hear that question. It's like, Okay, and, and literally sometimes I wonder if, if folks are going to, I want to walk just close enough to the edge to make sure I don't fall off, you know? Okay, uh, that's just kind of one of those things. Um, um, uh, can, can I dance and be a Christian? And I throw the question back and say, I don't know, can you? Because uh, you know, I can't, but it's not a theological thing. Sally can dance, I can't. Okay, it's, it's, you know, it's, you don't want to be with me on the dance floor because I'll step on your foot. Okay, so isn't it interesting that we kind of throw smokescreen issues up when God has many more things uh, in mind? There's no biblical record that the Lord had instructed or instituted a requirement for the fasting about which the delegation seeks or they ask about. It seems to be of human initiative. They may serve a good purpose, but it doesn't mean anything if they're not concerned about the Lord's express requirements for a just and merciful and compassionate society. The, the people are concerned, if they were concerned about true justice, then this other thing would really kind of take its own place in the grand scheme of things. So they get an answer that they don't necessarily care about. Can, can we... Um, can we look a couple of places? Somebody go to Isaiah 1.17. That's going to be back to the left a little bit. Thank you, Karen. And we've already done this in previous weeks, but I want to look at it again because it's, it so captures this whole series. Series Micah 6.8. John, would you find that one? It's back to the left, not far. Not far. Okay. I think it's wonderful how consistent it all is. Why is it so consistent? Why is what Isaiah says consistent with what Zechariah says, which is, what, which is consistent with what Jeremiah says, which is consistent with what Micah says? Why? God's talking to all of them. If he's talking to you and he's talking to me, he's going to be saying the same thing, isn't he? I think. And there are times people have said, you know what? I think God may be telling you this. But that person's got to love me a lot and love Jesus a lot and be really committed to me. Okay, uh, Isaiah 117. Who's got that one? Okay, all right. Stop 
sounds like there's some things he's pretty interested in and some things he's not. Let's, let's see what Micah 6.8 says again, John. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly before your God. That's a pretty good kind of a marching order for me. Okay, now, if you look at verse 10, he's talking here, he begins to talk about, if you really want to get God's attention, he, he's saying, God is not as worried about whether or not you have a hot dog in the fifth month as he's interested in you doing some other things and, and not doing some things. And God is particularly interested in oppression in Zechariah's day. Is God still interested in oppression in our day? Did you hear Marty talking about it a little bit last week, about some of the things we're involved in because of oppression of people? Um, human trafficking, for instance. I, I encountered a question that I kind of rephrased for our purposes today. Um, is there an excuse for starvation in Oklahoma City? It really isn't. I mean, I get that, you know, people get on hard times. I, I get all that. But for crying out loud, we throw away a lot of food, don't we? I mean, I can understand in a third world country. I don't like that either. God doesn't like that either. But right here in Oklahoma City, come on. As one of my friends well knows, there's a Sonic on every corner. And we're kind of glad about that. No kidding, they're, you know. And yet, there are children who today, right now, are really hungry. Because the last meal they had was at school on Friday. And there are people kind of working on that. And, and we need to get behind that including some initiatives here at our church. Um, so uh, let, me, let me give you the list that in my nomenclature, at least, or my words that, that Zechariah deals with. Oppression here includes the widow, the orphan. Okay, remember he, he talks about those who are widowed and orphan. He talks about those who are uh, residents from somewhere else. So I'm going to just use the word the, the alien, and don't think of a green man with a, you know, an eye in the middle of his forehead. I'm not talking about, talking about resident aliens, people who are living here, coming from some other place. And the poor. The poor, the widow, the orphan, the alien, the poor. Uh, the idea here is, and I think, you, I think we could extrapolate this or, or kind of sp spread it out to include, I think what God's saying here through the words of Zechariah is saying, you need to be interested in taking care of the most vulnerable in your society. The most vulnerable in your society. Remember the story of Ruth? What was the problem with Ruth? Well, they had gone to another country from Israel because of a famine. And then all the men died. So you've got widows, orphans, no food. You know, that's, that's kind of the way that whole story starts. Now, I'm just curious what you would say. And I'm going to, this is a soapbox warning, okay? <laughs> Who are the most vulnerable in our society today besides the ones that we've talked about here? Our 
Children? The elderly? Thanks, Wayne. I was waiting for somebody to say it. The unborn. Hmm. Wow. Do I even need to make a comment here? Uh, by the way, why doesn't, why doesn't this admonition here include the unborn in Zechariah 7? They weren't doing what we're doing. Can I just be that meddling? Okay. It was not a thought to a person who, who served the Almighty one holy God. It's, it's just, we got to deal with it. Okay, now, I want us to go on to verse 11 and 12 and see the people's response now to God's call when, they, when they've asked him about whether or not to fast. And he says, I'm not nervous about you fasting. I'm interested in you administering justice in your time. Somebody read verse 11 and 12. Here's, his answer. Here's their answer. What makes God angry? Let's, let's deal with that just a little bit. Here we go. Their initial response is captured by uh, two really picturesque word pictures that Zechariah uses. Okay, he, Here's their answer. And, and by the way, he's taking a trip back in history and talking about what happened to the people before they were taken in, in captivity by the Babylonians and, and thrown into exile. Okay, First of all, they had what... We're going to put on our, in our blank here, a turned back. A turned back. This is disrespect. It's literally, you're talking to me, and I'm just turning my back to you. Isn't it funny that we would not do that to one another? Well, you might occasionally do it to me, but I talk a lot, so. But you wouldn't, but we often have, we probably, everyone in the room, have in some ways figuratively turned our back on God and said, you know, talk to the hand. <laughs> Haven't we? Disrespect. God is saying, I'm interested in this. That's, that's the word picture, okay? The second word picture is covering the ears. Um, uh, it, it's the idea... Uh, we, if we said turning the back is dis disrespect, then this is um, a defiant refusal to listen. Somebody turn over to Acts 7 and read verse 57. Would somebody do that? Mark, can I get you to do that? I just saw you going there, so I thought, okay. Um, a, a defiant, it's not just only turn, but just, I don't want to hear it. I just don't want to hear it. A refusal to listen. We're going to see where this leads to. Um, did you find it, Mark? 757? This is the re reaction of the people to Stephen's message. The first martyr. This is what got him killed. Acts 757. 
what they do? They covered their ears. See, that happened in here. It's this refusal to listen. This is not, as my wife says, um, I have selective hearing occasionally. Okay. I, I think the word most used in my house in a given day is the word, huh? Sorry, I'm just getting older. This is not that. This is a, a defiant refusal to listen. And it leads to, and here's the issue in verse 12. He talks about having a hard heart. So you can put the word hard in there. A hard heart. And there's, there's another expression that we've, we've heard before and used before. It's the idea of a cold heart. But the truth is that the hard heart is much more severe than the cold heart. If a cold heart is a heart that's unresponsive, okay, in other words, I'm telling you about something and, and you're saying, eh. okay, unresponsive heart. The cold heart's unresponsive. Then the hard heart is a heart that um, has chosen to be aligned against God and one leads to the other. Yeah. Okay, read it. Yeah. Where is that? It's good. Okay, so we've got this darkness. And it's, it's fed by um, a heart that I allow to become cold. And I put several references here to a, to a hardened heart. A hard heart's more severe than a cold heart. It's a heart that's been, become aligned against God. So look at verse 13 and 14 with me. Because I want to be sure we get, get a chance to get through this in the five minutes or so that's left. And just as he called, and they would not listen. And by the way, I really think this refusal to listen is what led to the hard heart here. Just as he called, and they refused to listen, or they would not listen, so they called, and I would not listen, says the Lord. You remember that question I asked about, is there come a time when I push God a little too far? I don't like the fact that this is in my Bible, 713. But I've got to kind of deal with it. Does there come a time, do you catch the imagery? It's, it's this kind of, uh, kind of in, an interesting uh, reversal here. Um, what I want you to put in your outline here is that the sin of the people, their refusal to listen, had reached a tipping point. We believe, and I put the reference there from Jeremiah 15, we believe that this happened really in the days of King Manasseh. And that reference there is talking about where God just finally said, okay, judgment may be delayed, but it won't be denied. There was a tipping point. There was a place where it was kind of the point of no return. And, and the way Zechariah kind of typifies it here or, or um, characterizes it here, just as he called and they would not listen, so they called and I would not listen. And he's quoting God here. And then he talks about, in verse 14, scattering them among the nations whom they've not known, like the wind. That The result here was desolation. Uh, Jeremiah writes about it in chapter 52. Um, other historians have written about it. But the tables have been turned, um, and it's now God that's not listening. And the result was that in, just before Zechariah coming back to, to uh, Jerusalem, to the land of Israel, 
the place was desolate. There were only a few that weren't killed or deported. Most of the homes had been uh, either razed or burned. Desolate. Whatever the picture is in your mind of desolation, that's the word that goes there. The result was desolation. Jerusalem was nearly depopulated um, in, in this time. Nearly depopulated. Couldn't be worse desolation, huh? Now, so I want us to end with this thought, and then I want to quote to you from a great old hymn. Is it time to take any part of my heart that has become hard? And I think it can become hard a little by little, you know? Is it time for taking a hard heart and giving it to God? I think I can just give that heart to God. In fact, Ezekiel says he can take the heart of stone and make it into a heart of flesh. So is it time? I think it is. It's time for me to give my heart and the hard part of my heart as I recognize it and instead of saying, well, that's just who I am and hand it over to God for healing. What would be the result? So a lady by the name of Eliza Hewitt, she was born in 1851, lived till about 1920. She taught in public school in Philadelphia. Now, uh, talking, teaching in public schools in Philadelphia today is probably a little different than it was at the turn of the century, but still, she was, a, she was a teacher. That's a good thing. Along the way, she suffered a tragic back injury that caused her to be confined to her bed for many years. And as she was covering, she, recovering, she didn't allow herself to wallow in self-pity or bitterness. Instead, she started writing poetry, in particular hymns. Aren't you glad that people respond that way to pain? I think of, uh, guys, some of, the, some of the great hymn writers from our Church of God experience were guys who really experienced a lot. Uh, think of, of uh, Otis Teasley who writes, God's way is best, I will not murmur, although the end I may not see. You know, they're just wonderful, born out of suffering. Well, Eliza Hewitt decides to put her suffering and her, her faith in particular um, to a pen. She wrote the song, More About Jesus, and When We All Get to Heaven. And, uh, and some of those. But she also wrote one called Give Me Thy Heart. You may have never heard it. We sang it occasionally in churches when I, when I was growing up. Here's what, here's what the hymn says. Give me thy heart, says the Father above. No gift so precious to him is our love. Softly he whispers wherever thou art. Gratefully trust me and give me thy heart. Give me thy heart. Give me thy heart. Hear the soft whisper wherever thou art. From this dark world, he would draw thee apart. Speaking so tenderly, give me thy heart. Okay, here's the, here's the final question then. Have you really, have you completely given him your heart? If there's, if there's an element of judgmentality and mistrust, if there's an element of, of a lack of mercy left in your heart, it's because there's a portion of it that we've probably held back. So let this little school teacher from Philadelphia in the turn of the century kind of frame the discussion for us. Lord, I today will give you all of my heart. I will ask you to lead me 
And wherever you lead me, I will follow. All right. One last chapter in this series uh, in Malachi 3. We'll hit it next week, okay? Have a good week. See you.